What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 230 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we continue our journey through the running back rankings. We talked about the top 24 on our last episode. And now we will go 25 through 50, highlighting the interesting players. We're now sort of at the point where essentially every player we're talking about is part of a split backfield. A lot of these guys are the second option. We've already discussed the first option, which you can go back and listen to in episode 229. And a lot of these guys are similar in my opinion. You know, a lot, I think, of who shines out from this group is going to come down to natural variants from things like injuries and touchdowns, etc. But we're going to do our best now to sort through these players and the first name that I want to start off with is Chase Edmonds. We both have him ranked as our running back 28. His ADP on underdog is RB35. That's a pretty sizable gap where we favor him over the market. You've been on the Chase Edmonds bandwagon for years. So talk to us about why you're high on Chase. Yeah, I just think that with Chase Edmonds, he's the highest paid running back in the Dolphins running back room with him getting, you know, a guaranteed $6 million, a two-year $12 million contract. And I think that he's just going to be the preferred pass catcher on a pass-heavy offense. Obviously, we know that they have Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Mike Jasicki, and whatnot. But I still could see Tua dumping the ball off quite a bit. And Chase Edmonds is going to be the preferred pass down back and I think he's going to get a lot of usage in the passing game so just in terms of full PPR I would have him way above the consensus uh, which we currently do and I just really don't have faith in Raheem Moster or Sony Michelle or Miles Gaskin you know being major contributors this year and ultimately I just think Chase Edmonds is the best running back in that backfield talent usually shines out and I I think that they're going to want to get him the ball and you know throughout his career he's been a productive player with the opportunity that he's gotten so Mm -hmm. I really do love Chase Edmonds this year. Yep. And and you said it perfectly. He's really the only one of those guys that has pass catching upside. We know that that's not what Mostert's going to do. You know, Mostert made sense as a signing sort of, you know, to be the second running back in that room. He had familiarity with the coach. He can, you know, pound it and give Chase a break, but Chase is the guy with the full skill set. He can do everything. Sony Michelle, obvious depth signing. And I think Miles Gaskin's probably the odd man out who mm-hmm. is likely to get cut obviously they weren't happy with him if they brought in three more running backs and free agency so yeah Edmonds is definitely an upside pick right now the player that you have ranked directly below chase is miles sanders you're three spots lower than him compared to his running back 26 adp you've got him at 29 i have him even lower the thing with miles sanders is that he was in the situation last year i think to succeed you know he got in a situation where the eagles became one of the top two most run heavy teams in the league. And even still in that spot, he had more games with less than 10 rush attempts than games above 10 rush attempts, only two games the entire season with 18 plus touches. And I don't think that we're going to see the Eagles shift more run heavy this year. If anything, they're going to be more pass heavy with the additions they made in the off season. And not only that, but Sanders role as a pass catcher has been diminishing every single year of his career especially over the last two years, he went from averaging 4.3 targets per game to 2.8. So with Miles Sanders, I just don't see the upside. And how can you trust somebody who doesn't trust themselves? This is a man who came to us and said, 
don't take me in fantasy. And for some reason, people are still taking him in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree that you shouldn't be betting on people that want to bet on themselves. Even if he's being a, a little facetious with him saying that, I still think ultimately that he's not that great of a pick. But I will say, like, just in terms of that range of Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Tony Pollard, Chase Edmonds, like in best ball drafts, that's kind of the range that you want to be targeting for running backs, especially if you hammer wide receiver early. And Miles Sanders does fall in that range. And there is a chance that, you know, he could potentially lead that backfield in everything. He had 53% of the touches last year for the Eagles running backs. Um, he averaged 13.6 touches per game. And I think he should be the lead in the backfield. But like you said, the, the pass catching upside is diminishing. The rushing upside may be diminishing as well if they trend a little bit more pass heavy. And ultimately, he, he's just never put it together in his career. When he came out of Penn State, he had a he had a ton of upside and a lot of people loved him. And I just feel like ever since he's been in the NFL, we've seen a couple ceiling games out of him, but he just hasn't been a consistent player. And he also hasn't been able to stay healthy. So just for those reasons... I, I am a little bit lower on Miles Sanders. Yeah, I just I just don't know what the ceiling is with him anymore with the amount of work that he is going to be seeding, you know, even to Jalen Hurts, you know, who had 140 attempts last year on the ground. So he's giving up not only attempts to the backfield and can he gain well, he's giving up catches to gain well. But it's just such a split backfield at this point with other guys getting the red zone work that I just don't know if we can trust him. I mean, you talk about ceiling games. His highest point game last year was 17.3. He he didn't even crack 20, not once in 12 games. So I, I just I don't know what the ceiling is with Sanders. You talked about the range he's going in, and I think I would prefer just about every other player in that range, including guys who go well after him, such as... Ronald Jones, who I, I mean, I've talked about it a little bit this year so far, but I think that if any player in the NFL has the potential to come out and have a James Conner-esque season in fantasy where they're getting drafted past round 10 and they could come in and upset and put up 15 plus touchdowns, I think it's Ronald Jones. The Chiefs had the third fewest rush attempts as a team last year but they still finish with 431. If they're in line with that again, I could easily see Rojo finishing with 200 plus attempts on the ground this year and just being in the environment with the Chiefs, with the struggles that Clyde Edwards-Alaire has had in the red zone, you know, inside the five. I think that Rojo could play a major role for this team. He could potentially be the RB1 in some scenarios, I believe. So going at running back 39, that's where you have him ranked. I think he is just entirely too late. I've got him 10 full spots ahead of your ranking and ADP Rojo at 29 for me. Yeah, I I like Rojo this year for sure. I think that what you're saying is true. Like he could definitely be the lead running back in that offense. He could definitely see some good touchdown variants just because as a pure runner, like he's actually very good. Obviously, he doesn't play well in the passing game. And James Conner last season had 37 catches on 39 targets, you know, 375 yards, three touchdowns. So you're just never going to get that out of Ronald Jones. So you're strictly betting on him as a two down running back in the most pass heavy offense in the NFL. And then obviously when they get to the red zone and, and we talked about this on stream, they're just going to do a lot of fuckery in terms of their play selection and the 
in their play calling, which I think definitely hurts the ceiling of their running backs, just because they would rather get the ball to, you know, Travis Kelsey or some of the options outside uh, on those trick plays or let Patrick Mahomes roll out and, and see what he finds. I definitely think that 10 plus touchdowns is well within the range of outcomes if he stays healthy. And obviously I haven't been the highest on Clyde Edwards Hilaire and I don't think that he's going to be a factor that much in the rushing game. I think that CH is going to be the pass down back, the player that he was at LSU and the role that I think he should have been in for the entirety of his career. But I think just for me at the end of the day, why I'm ranked at 39, it's hard to bet on a guy that you know is not going to get any catches. And it's also hard to bet on projecting touchdowns in a league where touchdowns come down to so much variance week in and week out. And realistically, like there, there's a possibility that Ronald Jones finishes with four or like 12 touchdowns. That, and uh, that's, so that's exactly the type of player that we should be drafting in best ball now yeah. because you're getting the discount of his downside being baked into his price, but the upside still remains and we just need things to break right. And I mean, like, yes, the Chiefs are one of the most pass heavy offenses and you definitely when they get, you know, towards the five yard line, we're going to see some little shuffle passes to Travis Kelsey and a bunch of bullshit that is going to tilt our faces off. We already know that's built in, but at the mm-hmm. same time, like, aren't there scenarios where this passing game takes a major step back and they have to rely on the running backs a little more? I know that we're in on the Juju Smith Schuster bounce back, but that could easily go wrong. We're in sort of on the MVS bounce back. That could easily go wrong. Like Miko Hardman, career bum, Justin Ross. Maybe there's a reason why he went undrafted. There are scenarios where all of these things don't go well. And, and mm-hmm. Rojo and CEH are major factors in this offense along with Travis Kelsey. So the, the range is so wide that I want to be embracing it. And, and that's really what it comes down to for me. For me, and this is uh, my last point, I, th- I think that that situation is very unlikely to happen. I think that's at the bottom of the range just because I think that the Chiefs offense will be good no matter what, as long as Patrick Mahomes is healthy, right? We, we just talk about how different this dude is and he's the ultimate talent elevator at the quarterback position in the NFL so I don't really have worries about the Chiefs offense taking a step back they're still going to be one of the best teams in the NFL for as long as Patrick Mahomes is in his prime in his career with Andy Reid coaching the team and I just think there's more ways than not that that Rojo could fail this year um and just in terms of the players that he's going around I kind of like their floors a little bit better and they all have relatively the same ceilings that's the reason why i have him uh, below some certain guys let's talk about the seahawks guys here you have them ranked almost directly in line with their adps they're going as running back 32 and 33 respectively you have them at 33 and three, uh, 34 so just about the same i'm quite a bit lower on these guys you know i have penny at 40 walker at 41 first off let's just focus on the backfield in a vacuum and how we seeing it playing out in seattle it's obviously interesting where penny finished last season just an absolute fantasy god mode he was tearing apart every team that he faced now chris carson may never return from his injury and Seattle has brought in a second round rookie to compete. The standard perspective, I think, is that nobody knows, you know, who is going to sort of take over. These guys go somewhat closely, although Walker does have the head, the edge in ADP where he's going at pick 110 compared to Penny at 121. So about a full round difference with the community favoring 
Walker, how do you see the Seattle backfield playing out in 2022? Yeah, I think as long as both are healthy to start the season, I think that we will see Penny be the lead guy, Kenneth Walker be the RB2 to start. And I think that's uh, pretty much how the consensus thinks, at least right now with Penny being above Kenneth Walker in ADP just by one spot. And Kenneth Walker has actually fallen quite a bit over the last week, which you know, we'll talk about in a later episode. I think it's a split backfield on a team that is probably going to want to run the ball at one of the highest rates in the NFL, uh, especially if Drew Locke or Geno Smith is their starting quarterback. You know, besides DK and Tyler Lockett, there's really no other options in the passing game. So I think besides those two guys, the running backs are going to be the focal point of this offense. And at the end of the day, you know, it's Pete Carroll. And and this dude is a stone-cold, establish-the-run type guy. He's a stone-cold donkey. And I think that both of these running backs will see touches. If one were to go down, then one immediately elevates into a potential workhorse, a potential three-down running back, and they're smashing their ADPs. So just how I'm playing this is, you know, I'll take both in certain drafts and pretty much just have even exposure on these guys uh, just because I, I could see potential outcomes where both of these guys smash uh, due to, you know, the variance of, of the backfield in the NFL. So, man, to me, it's hard to picture either of them smashing. I suppose with an injury they could, but just from like an overarching perspective, Seattle's tied for third right now with a couple of other teams at having a league low five and a half win total. And and this is going to just be a bad team quarterbacked by horrific quarterbacks, whether it be Drew Locke or Geno Smith. I don't see them moving the ball well. They're probably going to be playing slow, trying to run the ball, like you said. And I I just think we're going to see a lot of slog games, bad paced games, Mm -hmm. bad scoring environment games, games where they get blown out and have to abandon the run and rely more on Metcalf and Lockett, no matter who's throwing them the ball. And the scoring environment is just so poor. And Walker comes in with enough pedigree that I think he damages Penny's value enough that it's either going to take an injury or these guys falling in a draft way past ADP for them to pay off because they're going so highly above guys that I think do have legitimate like league winning ceilings guys we'll talk about in a minute. And it's just hard for me to pull the trigger on really anybody in this Seattle offense unless they're an otherworldly talent i.e dk metcalf but he's really the only seahawk that i've had any interest in drafting really at any position yeah i've been pretty much staying away from all seahawks players just because you know you made some very valid points just in terms of the offense and the offensive efficiency efficiency is probably going to be bottom five in Mm -hmm. the nfl so just from that standpoint i could definitely see why you have those guys a little bit lower i just think that right off rip both of them are going to see volume just because of the way that they want to run their offense and that's why I would have them above guys like uh you know Madison and Isaiah Spiller and and whatnot who you have put above both of them uh just because I think clear-cut Penny and Walker are going to see more volume than those guys and, and score more fantasy points but you know, if you think their ceilings are a little bit lower, lower, I get why you have them where you have them. Yeah, for sure. And, and let's talk about that tier because I think this is one of the most valuable tiers in all of fantasy. It, it's these guys like Alexander Madison, Daryl Henderson, Isaiah Spiller, guys who are in good offenses and 
naturally they're probably going to have relatively weak roles to start the season. They'll all be playing behind, you know, elite players, essentially, maybe save Daryl Henderson, who will be playing behind Cam Akers. But even still, we know that the coaching staff is going to prioritize prioritize cam Akers, but you know in madison's case he's strictly a handcuff to dalvin cook in spiller's case he might get some work but should strictly be a handcuff to austin eckler that being said i i will take the potential week-to-week ceilings of these guys in the event that somebody gets injured over you know 10 11 points per week from say a seattle guy or like Damian Harris or or somebody like that. I just think that these guys will be able to put up weak winning upside in certain spots. And those are the guys that I want to have a lot of exposure to. Like, I think that Mm -hmm. you should be leaving a draft with somebody from this tier or somebody who has that role in every draft, whether it be AJ Dillon or Tony Pollard or somebody from, from this tier. And the thing that I think differentiates those guys, you know, the, the Dillons and Pollards is that they have regular week to week roles, regardless of injury. And they have the potential to elevate if injury occurs. Whereas these guys, I think are strictly injury dependent, but they do have similar week winning ceilings like if Mm -hmm. dalvin cook tears his acl at practice tomorrow alexander madison shoots up to the second round so Mm -hmm. yeah it's that kind of upside that i think can make a major difference and that's why i try to target these guys whenever i can and i'm always above adp when i do my rankings on players like these yeah no i i definitely agree and like you said that's just kind of how you rank which a lot of other people just aren't ranking like that obviously but i i agree that you should be leaving drafts with one of the players in this tier just this certain type of archetype of player uh, that is a handcuff running back but could potentially elevate into a three down workhorse if the situation breaks right for them so I definitely like uh, Madison who I have as you know the RB40 you have him as your RB37 I think that Isaiah Spiller I, I think I would be a little bit lower on him you know, I don't, I don't even have him ranked in my top 45, and you have him at 39, so we have a little bit of a difference there just because I think, as it stands right now, he's he's going to get, like, no touches in my opinion. But, like you said, if Austin Eckler were to go down, he's probably the guy in that backfield, and yeah, I, I just agree that you should be, you should be uh, hammering running backs from this draft just because of the potential value that you can get. I mean, the clear example last year was... Uh, Daryl Henderson right with with Cam Akers going down right around this time actually Cam Akers tore his Achilles Daryl Henderson was going in the same range that he was now as soon as that news dropped Daryl Henderson became you know a third round pick just for that potential you you definitely have to be taking shots on guys like Daryl Henderson Madison Isaiah Spiller etc yep and and honestly I feel like this is more I guess geared towards people who are drafting a large portfolio of best ball teams I think you want to be relatively even on these guys like you don't want to be betting on a specific injury any more than the other you just kind of want to have a level amount of exposure whatever that is for you personally but a level amount of exposure uh, to these guys inevitably some of these running backs are going to miss time so yeah, you know just exactly. ha- have your have your backup plan ready so that you can profit when they do couple other backfields i want to touch on some interesting ones from the afc east and we can start off with your new england patriots this is a really complicated backfield i think to dissect because we have guys that you know looked good on the field damian harris looked great Ramondre Stevenson looked great, but then there's James White. How do you see this backfield shaping up? Are these guys going to be able to pay off value with their current ADPs? 
Damian Harris running back 29, Ramon J. Stevenson running back 36. Yeah, I think that this is an interesting backfield. I think that people are definitely high on Ramondre, especially notable people across the fantasy space, you know, content creators. And and I could definitely see the case for Ramondre Stevenson. He was pretty good last year as a rookie running back. Uh, there's a good chance that James White might not be ready for the start of the NFL season. And in that case, Ramondre is probably the pass down back in this offense. And, you know, ultimately it is a split backfield. But this is still a team that is going to run the ball at one of the highest rates in the NFL. This is still a team that is going to be efficient on offense. You know, whether you believe that the Patriots have good skill position players or not, I don't think really matters. You know, they were seventh last year in offense. In the entire NFL, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson are going to be, you know, the two guys, the the two key factors. Damian Harris scored 15 touchdowns last year. Obviously not expecting that again. He ran, you know, really hot with touchdowns. So for that reason, I have Damian Harris as my RB31. He's RB29, so a little bit lower on Harris. Ultimately, I, I just think that this is a complete split backfield, but Ramondre is going to have the pass game role. So I have more Ramondre right now than Damian Harris in best ball, and I think that's how everybody uh, should be drafting it. All right, let's uh, let's look at the Buffalo Bills backfield. This is, again, one where you and I have a relatively large discrepancy. I have Devin Singletary ranked all the way up at running back 24. I actually moved him up since our last podcast, so we didn't really talk about him last week, but I, I've moved him up to... 24 you have Singletary at 35 right above James Cook one spot of James Cook where I actually have him at 35 as well so for me Singletary we just saw the upside at the end of last year and I I don't know that that much has really changed you know from week 14 on he really hit his stride 14.9 points 16.6 18.8 23 25 24 if you count the first week of the postseason and it's just the fact that he is in this Bills offense he's shown them that he can be reliable when they need him to especially in the winter months where we know that Josh Allen struggles a little bit more and they need to run the ball a little bit more we saw them do it down the stretch last year and I think that as long as that is in Devin Singletary's range, which I believe it is, then he should be a player that we're taking. I think he has a relatively high floor just being part of this Bills offense, and the ceiling, at least on a week-to-week basis, is there. I don't think he's going to have a monster stat line come the end of the year, but if he can put up three, four, 20-point games throughout the course of the year, then I think he's definitely worth taking, and I want all exposure I can get to this Bills offense. How are you looking at the split between Singletary and James Cook. Yeah, so just in terms of our rankings, like you said, you have him as your RB24. I have him as my RB35. So it's definitely the biggest discrepancy of any player so far through these first two shows. He's going as the RB31 on underdog. So I'm a little bit lower. You're way higher than the consensus when it comes to Devin Singletary. And, you know, I do agree that he showed what he could do at the end of last year. I also think he ran really good just in terms of his matchups. He played the Jets in the Falcons, you know, two of the worst defenses in the NFL last year. So I think that's definitely a factor for sure. And I also think that just in terms of the backfield, they made it a point to go out and get a pass-catching running back with them potentially 
getting J.D. McKissick at the beginning of the offseason, and then he backed out. Then they signed Duke, jo- Duke Johnson, obviously maybe not a factor. They went out, drafted James Cook, a pass-catching running back out of Georgia in the second round. So I think there's a clear indication that they don't want Singletary in that pass game role. Now, do I think he will still get targets? Yes, I do. And I, I've been drafting Devin Singletary. It's not like I'm full fading him. I think he is a fine pick just because of the offensive environment. I agree with everything. But I just think that in terms of range of ranges of outcomes, I think it's more likely than not that this ends up that he ends up being kind of like a two down back that splits the rushing share with Josh Allen and James Cook and then loses pass down work to James Cook. You know, he averaged 13 touches last year, even with you know, his high touch games at the end of last season. And I just think his role is very unknown as it stands right now. I don't think he's going to have that voluminous role that he had in those three games to end the season against the Jets, Falcons, and Patriots that pretty much excelled him to the top of fantasy at the time. His role could change week to week. So obviously that's why I think Having him at RB24 is pretty egregious, but I think maybe I do have him a little bit too low at 35. The thing is, is he, he's he been consistent pretty much at every step of his career, getting about 900 to 1,000 yards. The big difference last year was that he went up to seven rushing touchdowns opposed to two in each of his first two seasons, and it just will come down to how he's utilized. I think that the floor is relatively high. Like I don't see him getting less than about a thousand total yards once again. I just, I mean, he's 24 years old, and while the the coaching staff definitely did make that effort to get him some pass catching support, the fact is they just they needed bodies as as well. They really only had Singletary and Zach Moss. So I mean, it totally makes sense to me that they would bring in somebody else to compete with him and and to spell him when necessary but I do think that he is pretty locked in as the Buffalo Bills running back one which to me is just a value in it of itself like I don't think James Cook is going to come in and supplant him as a as the running option in terms of the backfield and I just don't know how much Cook is even necessarily going to be involved like I could see Cook severely disappointing because if he is taking the target share away from Singletary, then his only role is going to be the pass catching running back, which isn't a great role. Even Singletary, who was, you know, essentially a three down player for the end of last year, finished with 50 targets. He finished with 50 targets in back to back years. So, I mean, if that scales down to like, you know, 40 or 35, and some of that goes to James Cook, then I just don't know what James Cook is going to be able to do to pay off a running back three price tag unless he runs incredibly hot with touchdowns. Yeah, but I I just think you're not really factoring in that there's a very realistic possibility that he does supplant Devin Singletary as the RB1 on the offense. I, I just think that from a prospect profile, James Cook profiles better as you know, a workhorse running back as an RB1 and Devin Singletary kind of as that change of pace guy. You know, James Cook, 5'11", ran a 4-4, 78th percentile speed score, coming out of Georgia, second round pick, better draft capital. Devin Singletary, 5'7", ran a 4-6, 28th percentile 40, 17th percentile speed score. Like his, his prospect profile isn't great. Obviously, he's had good seasons in the NFL. You know, he he's averaged four plus yards per carry 
in all three of his years. You know, like you said, pretty much almost a thousand yards in all three of his seasons. So he definitely has produced, but I think it's well within the range that James Cook comes in and takes over that backfield, especially if Singletary were to miss a week or two. James Cook could could just run with that opportunity and and never give that job up. So I just think personally you're not factoring that in enough for some reason. Maybe it's because you don't believe in James Cook or you don't think he's that good of a running back, but obviously we don't know because we're not college, you know, football guys, but I definitely think it's well within the range. Like I think there's a very good chance that it happens. Perhaps I should be a little bit higher on James Cook and his potential as a a runner that you know, he obviously does have uh Dalvin Cook's blood running through his veins, so maybe that helps a, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean I, I don't think it can hurt to have one of the best running backs in the NFL as your brother that you're probably training with 24-7 and learning from and learning the nuances of the game, especially as a rookie. Do other running backs have that situation where where they're learning from one of the best off-rip and have been for their whole life? I, I don't know that they do. None, none that I can think of. Also, fun fact, James Cook was the number three running back in the country when he was a recruit in 2018. Dalvin Cook was the number three running back in the country during 2014. Maybe this is a scenario where, you know, the Bills just got Dalvin Cook 2.0 in the second round. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a good possibility that they did. And uh, another fun fact, Devin Singletary and the Cook brothers were uh, childhood friends. Were they? Oh, so maybe, you know, Singletary was training with them. Plus one for Singletary. Uh, all right. Um, is there anybody else that you want to touch on in this show or should we leave the rankings up to the people to go and find? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's necessarily anybody else that I want to talk about. I think we covered a lot of the important running backs. Obviously, we only did up to like 45 to 50, and that's not even getting to the RB5s and whatnot. But I just think like after Michael Carter in drafts, the running back position is very ugly, and you know, you're just drafting strict handcuff running backs like Khalil Herbert, Darrell Williams, and guys like that, JD McKissick. So I don't know if you want to talk about any of those guys or any late round running backs that you have interest in. But other than that, I think that's all I have uh, for this show. Yeah, I mean, once we hit RB 47 in terms of ADP, which is Kenny Gainwell, I think that there's a huge fall off um, in terms of the player pool. And I find myself targeting the same sort of guys and just rotating my exposures i mean the vast majority of these guys are are players that i would never touch on my roster you know um mark ingram brian robinson moster like just most of these guys are guys that i'm not touching i want to have four running backs by the time we get to that point where we're looking at the kenny gainwells of the world the michael carters the spillers like i want those guys to be my rb4 and then circle back and just try and hit one player as the rb5 some of the guys that I like is late shots, Gus Edwards, Jamal Williams, JD McKissick, like you said, and then guys we've talked about on other shows like Chris Evans, Zamir White, Dearness Johnson, etc. But, you know, a lot of these guys I think are just rotational pieces that you take shots on in the hopes of things breaking your right. And the vast majority are going to be non-factors. Even the guys that I like are most likely to be non-factors. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Obviously, I like some of the running backs going a little bit later, like Khalil Herbert, you know, Zamir White, etc. But not too much that interests me outside of, you know, just these pure, like, upside young handcuff running backs, to be honest. Yep. All right. Agree. 
with that and that is going to be it for episode 230 of the dfs dose podcast we're about halfway through our ranking series you can find our quarterback rankings and both running back rankings episodes here on this feed next week we dive into wide receivers we'll also be back on friday with an edition of the adp market report to talk about the players that have been rising and falling over the past seven days in terms of adp make sure if you are not already, that you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover, Joey's at Joey Carrying DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on in the podcast, you can join our inner circle via the free link to our Discord. You can find that in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody out there listening, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.